that was my small group. Aw, oh, thank you. Oh. My bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. Am I part of Be Slow? Does that count? All right, y'all. Thank you so much for, for honoring me and for welcoming me. Y'all are, are the best. I love this family. All right. And so I wanted to start tonight by telling you guys a story about a friend that I have. Okay, so I have this friend, right, and her and I have been inseparable for just as long as I can remember, and she's one of those people you have, like, a love, and I don't want to say a love-hate, but I'm going to say love, struggle to love. Do you know anyone like that? I'll take that laughter as a yes. Um, and so she was part of this friend group that I had uh, in high school. There were six guys, th uh, no, not six guys, there's three guys, three girls, so, like, kind of picture, you know, friends, the TV show, but make them, like, awkward teenagers and, like, Brown. Um, <laughs> um, but we met doing like musicals and shows together. We were those people. We were musical theater nerds. And we were in choir together. Um, and we shared everything together. We shared life together. We were always together. We shared unhealthy uh, habits <laughs> and coping mechanisms together. Um, we were figuring we were figuring out life. It was it was a time. And I remember we'd always hang out at my one friend, I'm gonna call her T. T's not the person, not, she's not the friend I'm referring to, but we, uh, we hung out at my friend T's house because um, she had money. And so she had a really nice house, <laughs> and she had a basement for us to do all of our shenanigans in. And so there was one time, I remember, we were kind of debating what we were going to do for our next hangout. And so the room was kind of split, and I could kind of feel, like, tensions begin to rise because half the group wanted to go out and spend money, and half the group didn't, you know, because we were high schoolers and didn't really have money. And so we're going back and forth and back and forth about we're going, we're not going, we're going, not going. Some people can afford it, some people can't. And things were kind of starting to get heated. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what T said, but she made a comment about, like, well, we should just go hang out regardless. Like, if people can't come, if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. And my friend that I'm going to focus on tonight, she said, she's like, well, some of us actually know what it means to work and don't have daddy pay for everything. <laughs> And a hush fell over the room. <laughs> and it was so awkward. And um, everyone looked like this. <laughs> they were sipping, yes, that metaphorical tea. Everyone was avoiding eye contact. Like, ooh, this is so awkward. Yeah. And, it, and so, but this was a glimpse of the kind of person that my friend was. Um, she could get really defensive and, and cutting. Um, this is the kind of person she could be. Do you guys know anyone like that? The one where you're like, why are you so mean? <laughs> or, or like, you are so negative and cynical. Do you ever have something positive to say or add to the conversation? Or the one friend who's sweet until they're not, and then they pop off at you. <laughs> or the one friend who always has, like, some gossip that she wants to share. And at first it was fun, but now you're like, I kind of don't want to tell her anything because I might be the next topic of conversation. Um, or when you're like, okay, this person's just too much. Like, there's no fixing them. Um, and if maybe you don't know anyone like this, and in that case, it's probably you. You're that friend. <laughs> but, but speaking of cutting and drama, guys, the Bible, if you have read it, it is anything but boring. There is tons of drama in the Bible. And so last week, Jasmine was continuing our sermon series, Influencers, Empowered to Make a Difference, and shared about the early church and how they were beginning to be persecuted for spreading the gospel. Right, and so and despite being threatened, intimidated, thrown in jail, and even killed, um, they persisted with the help of the Holy Spirit um, and through prayer. And yet still persecution was going to come. 
Um, And so tonight we're going to take a look at a passage of someone closely familiar with persecution and especially hard to love, and his name was Saul. And so Saul was a well-educated man who studied under the best Jewish um, teachers of the law and was already gaining influence, and he was on his way to becoming an extremely powerful religious leader. And so he took the Jewish law very seriously. Um, Saul's beliefs gave him the right, he thought, um, to persecute and even kill the followers of Jesus um, to stop the spread of this message and to preserve um, their religion. And so he essentially gets permission that should he encounter any Christians, men or women, um, that he would have permission to detain them and have them thrown into prison. Um, And so this is where (laughs) we're going to pick up tonight. So tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, if you're in your Bibles, or we'll have it on the screen. Um, And it says this, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he, Saul, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And so if you know a little bit about the story of the Bible, you're like, wait, what? Didn't Jesus already raise from the dead and he ascended back into heaven? Like I thought we were not going to hear from him again, (laughs) directly anyways. Um, And yet he reveals himself here. This is actually the only other time Jesus himself reveals Uh, speaks directly to someone after his ascension. So this is huge. And so Jesus is saying in this moment, it's, hi, like, it's me who you're persecuting. Um, And to persecute is to be hostile towards, to abuse, to oppress. Um, And so he's saying, you're persecuting God himself, not just his people, but God himself. And so he's being super clear about who he is. Um, And so Saul's whole world in this moment has just been turned upside down. Um, everything he thought about his promised deliverer and savior um, has just been upended, and all his energy towards protecting everything he knows kind of comes to a screeching halt. I feel like I can hear like the record scratching. Who's like, wait, what? Um, and so when he gets up, he's blind, and it's as though his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And I looked up um, that word, uh, he saw, because I wanted to know what it meant. And it actually, in Greek, it says it's the same as both to physically see as it is to perceive. Um, And so whether you interpret this as his physical eyes were open and he couldn't see, or his spiritual eyes were open, but physically he couldn't see, I think you could make an argument for both being correct, but I imagine for sure there is some confusion um, in Saul's spirit as he journeys the rest of the way to Damascus. Um, I can see him, I I can kind of picture him sifting through this Jewish teachings that he that are just so deeply ingrained in his mind and in his heart. Um, I can imagine him thinking of the prophecies and how he thought things were happening, yet it's juxtaposed with this actual encounter with God. And now he has to wait in this tension for the next three days. 
Have you guys ever felt like that? Like, wait, he just encountered God himself. <laughs> um, my nappy friend <laughs> from before, she shared with me that when she went off to college, she got connected to a campus ministry. And as she began getting involved, she would sit in their large group meeting, uh, much like tonight, and felt like the pastor was speaking directly to her. She would sit uncomfortably in her seat, um, like, how can I possibly know what is going on in my life? Like, I never had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God. Who knows what's going on? Um, and she felt almost like a little exposed <laughs> and seen. And she began to think, I think there's this disease right now. So she was torn and confused because if this was true, her whole world would change. It would have to. But that idea continued to stir and grow in her. I think I'm in the presence of God right now, and he knows me. And so the story continues in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to go and to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must, he must suffer for my sake. And so Saul makes it to Damascus. And the Lord tells Ananias he needs to go. And where will he find Saul? What will he find him doing? Right? Yeah. Remember, Saul was a deeply religious man. And he had this strange encounter. And he's trying. And he's wrestling with it. He's got questions. And so what is he praying for? I think for him praying for his vision to be restored was probably the least of his concerns. Um, but I imagine he's spending these three days asking God for clarity, for strength, for faith even to believe what he heard and saw on the road um, as he wrestles with the similar thought. If Jesus is God, this changes everything. And Ananias goes, knowing Saul's history and yet hearing this from the Lord, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We haven't even gotten to the end of our story, but here God is clearing up any confusion. Saul is chosen by God. Saul, I mean, God has looked upon Saul in all of his efforts, working against the kingdom of God, and he chose him, and he saved him, and he showed his grace to him because he loved him so much that he was going to redeem his life for God's glory and Saul's good. Here is my one point, my takeaway one thing tonight. God changes you so that you can change the world. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> um, and it's, it's kind of funny to me that, Saul, uh, that God chooses Saul to be um, the apostle to the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people. Because I can kind of picture Saul like going back to the Jewish people. He grew up Jewish. He was a Jewish leader. He's training. Um, but God chose this kind of high and mighty, holier-than-thou kind of guy to reach the non-Jewish people. And this meant that Saul was going to have to be truly refined and transformed by God and filled with the Spirit. 
because in his effort to preserve uh, the purity, right, of the Jewish religion, <laughs> it blinded him in some ways, um, it blinded him in some ways from being able to express uh, God's love to them, let alone outsiders. But now he would be called to step into uh, the filth, so to speak, of the Gentile world and invite them into this experience that was only available to insiders before. Um, and so I imagine, imagine what other unlikely people God um, is calling that he wants to use to reach the community around us. What about God using the introverts in the room to go read Greek life? Or what about the bookworms re uh, reaching the athletes? Do you think a freshman can reach a senior? Do you think um, that some of the loud extroverts in the room, Louise, would be able to connect with someone more reserved? No, you're going to scare the introverts away. <laughs> Just kidding. Of course. Yes, of course he can. Um, because he has. As I look in this room, I'm like, no, God is doing it. And he's doing it through even our community. But are we open, right, to step into God's story and be empowered to make a difference where he asks us to? Again, God changes us, changes you, so that you can change the world around you. And Ananias, as one of Jesus' disciples, knew this. He probably experienced this life transformation. Um, and so picking up again in verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And so how many of us are like, wow, that's such a beautiful story. Okay, okay. And how many of us are like, wait, what? Are we just going to forget the kind of person that he was? Why does he get to be saved? Anyone feel that way? Okay, one honest person in the back, thank you. Everyone else is, we're all, love you too. <laughs> Everyone else is extra holy. Um, but why does he get salvation, right? One thing that I love about this story is that it is proof that the gospel is the most inclusive message in the whole world. That, no one, that anyone, <laughs> no matter who they are, what they've done, based on no good work alone, have this access to this free gift of salvation. Amen, right? But even the murdering, lying, cheating, abusing, destroying, hurtful person has the opportunity to become a child of God. Amen. <laughs> or maybe you're thinking, well, Ashley, that doesn't sound super fair. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, because there is something super unfair about the gospel that I have access to it, that you have access to it. It's not fair that someone else took on the consequences of my actions, and I did absolutely nothing to deserve it. And yet, God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son for us. And then God has the audacity <laughs> to use this person in his global plan to reconcile the world and he's going to use Saul. Again, God changes you so that you can change the world. 
And we'll see through the rest of the book of Acts how um, Saul, later named Paul, um, went out and began to preach and later writes uh, in 1 Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He knows who he is. He knows his past. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him through eternal life. Jesus was patient with Saul. And he has been patient with us as an example of his love for everyone. And speaking of God's patience, going back to my story again of my friend, we last left off um, with her beginning to understand and wrestle with this question of who Jesus is. Um, well, God continued to soften her heart and transform her. And that spring, she ended up giving her life to Jesus and getting baptized. And I actually have a picture of my friend. Wait. It's me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Was anyone surprised? No? Dang. I tried. <laughs> you guys were like, <laughs> it was worth a shot. <laughs> it was the big R. Gave it away. Thank you, Moises. I was like, that girl looks a lot. It's me. I'm the friend. I'm the sassy friend who got her life changed. Okay, you guys are getting it now. Really good. Um, it's me, guys. <laughs> Amen. This, but this is my story. <laughs> I was a lot like Saul. <laughs> I lived uh, this story that we read. Um, Desmond called it. <laughs> He's like, "Someone's gonna cry." <laughs> um, but okay, <laughs> many of us have lived this story, right? Um, can't read my notes now. <laughs> Jesus was patiently pursuing me, just like Saul. Sorry about this. <laughs> um, and he chose me. <laughs> and then he decided, then I had the, uh, the choice to decide to choose him back. And I'm so glad I did, because look, now I get to be here. <laughs> um, and y'all, <laughs> you know, it's Jesus, and I got baptized, but I am so far from perfect, because that's my small group. <laughs> totally awesome. Because um, like I said, I was a cutting and prideful and impatient person, and a lot of the times I still am. <laughs> um, but I was also a liar and really mean, <laughs> and I don't hope I'm not that way anymore, uh, and a rebelling person, right? But now I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, and I'm not that person anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. But... Thank you, Moises. <laughs> Actually, hold that hold up. Let me turn away a little bit. Oh, my natural yummy. My biggest. Um, but you see what happened. I, me, somebody you know, was on a road leading to death. But God chose me anyway. And many of you know and probably could guess that it was me um, in this story all along. But then you also probably know that my story is super closely tied to Chi Alpha. But that's why I believe so strongly in what we do. And not we, the staff team, but we, this community, um, this movement, right? God changes you so that you can change the world. Um, you see that guy baptizing me? Go back to that photo. No, you're good. Um, uh, that's Brian. He was my campus pastor at Rutgers. Actually, some of you probably gotten the chance to meet him on the missions trip. Um, but 
about nine years ago, he had just started Chi Alpha at Rutgers, um, and he had finally found a student to be his first disciple and member of their group. Um, and that first year, they grew to about 20 students, and about two years later, that's when I transferred in, was discipled, encountered God, gave my life to him. Um, oh, and by the way, here's a picture of that first disciple of Brian. Can you go to the next slide? That guy also looks familiar. <laughs> it's Luis. Right there. <laughs> My husband. There he is. Um, yeah. Um, and so Brian, yeah, look at Luis all those years back. Wow. I was still in high school <laughs> when he was in college. Um, so Brian met Luis who met Sierra, who's on the next slide. Mm. On the next slide. She's the I wanted to put on a wedding pic. But <laughs> she was the maid of honor at my wedding. Um, but so Brian met Luis, who met Sierra, who met me. I, and I had a chance to be a small group leader. I met a girl named Ellie. Now I'm out of college. Ellie met a girl named Faith. And Faith actually got baptized at Sikkim last year when we all were there together. And so, this is a side note, but in a weird way, Luis is kind of like my spiritual grandfather. <laughs> is that weird? <laughs> is that weird? Does it make it weird? We love to see it. <laughs> is it weird? No, it's fine. <laughs> but what do we see here, right? A campus is being changed because some pretty messed up people <laughs> um, gave their lives to Jesus um, and, let, wanted, and let their stories <laughs> be used by God to transform their university so that they could change the world around them. And the same is true here in Richmond. Because um, now, like now I obviously came from New Jersey, now I'm down here, and I've gotten to meet some really amazing women who are part of my small group, and I'm so excited to see who they're going to reach, right, um, as, we, as we do this together. And so if you, if you don't know, I encourage you to ask your small group leader about your spiritual lineage, so to speak, of the people who came before you, um, because it seems cool, right, hearing about revival that's going on in other places um, and in other universities, but... I 100% believe that it's happening here and that God's using us to do it. When I looked around this room, I was like, no, I know that revival is taking place here in Richmond, Virginia. Um, you're here because someone extended friendship to somebody else who probably didn't know Jesus. And they say yes. They said yes so that you could say yes, so that somebody else has the opportunity to say yes. And we get to offer that to someone else. And that's a really beautiful thing. Someone else you know needs to know Jesus and that their soul was created for him. Um, imagine if each of us recognized that we were saved to make a difference. That God changed you so that you can change the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your life, that your yes to God, that your friendship with that person can change the world around you? Can you see, can you visualize in, in your mind's eye this, this room um, being packed with people who came to know Jesus because you said, each of us said, yeah, I can love them. Yeah, I can invite them to follow me as I follow Jesus. 
yeah, I'm going to share my story. Yeah, I'm going to commit to praying for them. Guys, our campuses, just like myself, are walking around blind towards a path that leads to death. It is not leading to life. In a world that says, whatever truth works for you is the truth, Jesus is saying, I am the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he's knocking at the door of people's hearts and asking us to co-labor with him to bring people from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Will we respond? The worship team can come back up. I'm almost done, not yet. (laughs) But I love the enthusiasm. Like, I love the energy. It's great. But has your life been impacted by God? If you're a follower of Jesus, then my question to you is think about how your life has been transformed since deciding to follow him. How does that make you feel? How has your life changed? And who can you share that with this week? If you can't think of anyone, think of the hardest person to love (laughs) in your life. Maybe someone who is a lot like me. Start with them. Love them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Um, And if that seems like a near impossible task, then I encourage you to come up. We're going to have some staff members up here in the front. Um, But come up or to the altars and, and pray and ask God for help to love them or ask who should you share this truth with. And ask God to empower you by his spirit. Um, And maybe you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, but I encourage you, I earnestly ask you to ask, who are you, Lord? That's what Saul asked, and he received his answer, that Jesus is God. And so as as Chi Alpha, as ambassadors for Christ, we implore you, (laughs) be reconciled to God. He knows you. He loves you. He has a love that you have never known. He satisfies your soul. He's the one who created it. And he's inviting you not into a set of rules or religious formalities, but into a relationship with him. Saul encountered a living God that was neither dead or distant. He was close. He was alive. And I believe if you're here, then this is an invitation to have your eyes open to the goodness and love of a God who has been pursuing you all the days of your life. Yes, even in your brokenness and difficulties. Would you allow God to come in and transform your life into something more beautiful than you could imagine? I encourage you also, the front will be open. There will be staff to help be available to help you process and pray. And maybe your question tonight is um, asking, Jesus, who are you? I want to know. I want to know if this is true, what she shared tonight. So let's respond together. Let's stand. Let's worship. Come up to the front for prayer if you need it. Um, Let's thank God. Let's worship him.